Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome to Out of Office. I'm your host, Malika Kapoor. Julie Dean remembers sitting at the kitchen table. She was worried. She wanted to send her children to a better school, but she had a problem. She had 600 pounds. I needed to make um, 24,000 a year sustainably to send two children at 12,000 each um, to a private school. And luckily I didn't know that it was, you know, so unlikely to succeed, it would be called a moonshot because that would have been a little bit demoralizing. Julie got on with it. Inspired by the classic British school bag, Julie and her mother launched a business making satchels. Today, the Cambridge Satchel Company is worth 40 million pounds. Celebrities and fashion bloggers carry the bags and they're featured in fashion glossies. Julie has a remarkable story about building her business, which she shared with my colleague Ed Stapley. They talked about her work ethic. I see that sometimes resource and and money can make people quite lazy, you know, in, in their options because they think there's only one way of doing something. Her idea of style. You look at the satchel and it's a beautiful beautifully simplistic kind of bag. It doesn't have pockets everywhere because I, I, I would just find it really hard to find my keys if I had numerous pockets to go through every single time. And it's that kind of simplicity that tends to um, appeal to people who like a certain style and that's what we're comfortable with. And, and, and so that's what we do. And meeting the queen. She's just um, amazingly warm. Here's Ed with Julie, with a guest appearance from her dogs. So, Julie, welcome to this Out of Office podcast. Um, great to be chatting with you um, in this kind of surreal world that we're living in. Um, how are you holding up with it all? I think I'm I'm holding up probably better than I should be holding up because uh, it plays to all my worst tendencies. <laughs> it plays to all the things that I'm not supposed to like. But I think that um, there's a large part of me that quite likes being a hermit. Right. Have you have you found that you're doing more work or less? No, I'm being enabled in my hermit status. So I'm doing a lot more things. Uh, not necessarily all work. There's a lot of work stuff, but I think that I'm very lucky and I genuinely love my home. <laughs> genuinely love my home. I love being at home and I love the garden. You get to see the dogs a bit more. Oh, well, I, I literally, I couldn't see the dogs anymore. I mean, I just couldn't. <laughs> it's, it is impossible to imagine how I could see more of the dogs than yeah. um, I've seen in the last four months. It's a very strange time for everyone at the moment but I mean especially for you as, as, a, as a business founder it must be 
an odd time when you've got teams you know that you can't meet in person um and how are you how are you dealing with with the remote side of running a business i think zoom has been um incredible i used to look at my teenage children and think how can you not care what you look like in photos how can you take these photos with no regard of how you're going to look because you know you look at if I look at my mum she she takes real pride in getting ready for a photo then posing for a photo I'm somewhere in the middle and all these little um, views into people's houses that's really that's fantastic but what we do miss massively is it, it's it's that kind of it's the it's the spark from the conversations that happen while you're waiting for the kettle to boil. You know, that somebody mentions something, oh, I'm working on this. Oh, I met those people last year when I was, oh, I didn't know we'd known. You know, these things that aren't directed, they're not scripted, agendered meetings. And from those, some of the most interesting things come. And and that's what we're missing, those spontaneous, unstructured conversations that are also really supportive. So to create a bit of context then um, for listeners who maybe don't know the business, um, you started your, it's a satchel business called the Cambridge Satchel Company. And you started it with your mum back in 2008, which was, you know, the Great Recession era. Um, and you had £600 in your pocket, um, you know, how tough was that at the time, particularly with um, with the crisis that was that was ongoing? Um, and why did you choose Satchels for for, um, for your business? So I think that in many ways, what people think as real issues made things easier, if if that makes sense. So I didn't choose two thousand and eight. It, it it chose me because that's when my children really needed to be put into a a great school you know one of them particularly was was having a, a very tough time and and it was obvious that I needed to find a really good school to send them to and in Cambridge we're blessed with some fantastic schools but unfortunately some of those fantastic schools are, are also private schools and they they cost a lot of money and I and I've always been a great believer in what is the dream and then I'll find a way to get there rather than what do I... Oh, the dogs are about to start barking. You listen to them. There they go. One second, I shall let them out. There we go. They've gone to see... Off to chase a rabbit or something, are they? Yeah, no, I think it's my mother. <laughs> Your mum, who 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 you founded the business alongside, right? So she was an influence at the beginning. Well, you know, when you've got six hundred pounds, you're obviously not in a position to pay anyone. So you you really have to look around at at what you've got and what's what's available. I had eight weeks to start something that um, and now I know it's called a seed fund. My seed fund was six hundred pounds. I needed to make um, 24,000 um, a year sustainably to send two children at 12,000 each. 
um, to a private school, you know, from £600 with a school summer holiday. And, and they sort of said, oh, well, that's definitely, that qualifies as a moonshot. And, and luckily, I didn't know that it was, you know, so unlikely to succeed, it would be called a moonshot, because that would have been a little bit demoralizing and demotivating as well. But I think when you, you are very clear about what you need to do, and you're crystal clear about what you have resource-wise, um, and you have a very clear intention of doing it, then then that makes it easier in a way. Did that put more pressure on yourself, do you think, the fact that you really desperately wanted to get your particularly one child out of a school? Did that really kind of add the pressure? Did it Did it help you succeed further, that kind of drive? Well, it was a sort of like failure is not an option kind of scenario because I'd promised her she would not be going back to that school and you don't break a promise. So, so there wasn't an option. So um, it now I see that sometimes resource and and money can make people quite lazy, you know, in, in their options because they think there's only one way of doing something you know there's uh, oh what's your budget well maybe you haven't got a budget so you you have to just crack on and learn to code that's what I did I learned to code and coded the first website because I needed a website and I couldn't find you know another family member who was a coder so I had to just buckle down and, and do it myself yeah and then within five years literally five years the business is worth 40 million pounds yeah that's pretty amazing yes I mean but but it was it it, it was one of these things of there was always a new challenge that I think I was a little bit fixated on getting over that next challenge there was always a bunch of unhappy people there were unhappy people first of all there were unhappy people because my not brilliant website didn't work that well but I mean it worked well enough then Urban Outfitters in the States started selling the bags but when my mum and I boxed them they didn't have the nylon strapping on that they wanted to accept it as their DC which apparently you know is distribution centre so yeah their DC needed these nylon sort of strapping things and so I managed from from eBay, I think, to buy one of these machines for the nine. But then when it arrived, I didn't have the first idea how to how to use it. So then we <laughs> thinking, oh, my God, where's YouTube, how to use the nylon strap. But, you know, that's the that's the great sort of wonder of the Internet is is that um, I could look in, and find out how to use this machine that, you know, obviously I was ill equipped to use and. Um, and equally, I I remember there's loads of being at we we had an Airbnb just outside the main area of Paris Fashion Week, and all the buyers were in the area, and we had this sort of Airbnb and some flyers, you know, and they would come around, and we had a lot of people from um, a, a big sort of a, a Japanese chain, and they obviously wanted to buy, but I just I. I didn't understand a word they said, you know, but but Google Translate, you know, it wasn't perfect, but it did the job. And so it was it was all of these kinds of 
of free tools from the internet that made it possible. You know, the pandemic's obviously come along. It's hit a lot of businesses, sadly, which have had to close. Have you found that it's impacted you, particularly your physical stores? Will you be looking to reopen those? And then on the digital side, have you found that demand has stayed steady or how are you, how are you looking to adapt? We noticed things a lot sooner than lockdown, I said, because our shops are in tourist areas. They're places where we thrive mainly, you know, because of the wonderful, the American um, tourists that would come looking for British handcrafted goods and um, Asian tourists as well. And so when those tourists stopped travelling, which was before lockdown, we really started seeing um, a big difference in how the stores were doing. And then obviously lockdown happened. And so those um, they, they all had to be shut. And that was just an incredible, an incredible blow. Um, we own our manufacturing. So the workshops, uh, that those had to be shut. We were still doing we took the space then to to make sure that we could still dispatch for the website because the website was the only channel bringing in any money to the business. So we needed to to try and, and concentrate on that. Have you had to make a lot of um, redundancies? And I guess that would be very difficult as a leader. How's, has it tested your kind of resolve as, as, as a business leader and as a person? Yes, it's... It's so difficult because we we had to place a lot of people on furlough um, because, you know, people had to be on furlough because the shops had to shut. Um, then it's very difficult judging when is the right time to reopen because is the footfall going to be there? Because um, it, it's been a case of really trying to hold on to cash because you don't know how long you have to survive in in this very strange kind of state. It's also a, a case of, uh, I, I sort of know the people that work for Cambridge Satchel very, very well. You know, I know, I've been through family events with them, people getting married, people having children, people dying, the whole lot. You you go through all of that. And I suppose it's different if you're head of some massive organisation. But when you've been with people embossing bags for Christmas rush at three o'clock in the morning and doing all those kinds of things, it's very, very difficult then to to sort of think, well, how on earth do I not put you on furlough because the shop is shut and, and these other things. But for all the criticism, it's, it's very easy to, to criticise, but I think that the government, the furlough scheme was, you know, it, it was really, really good. It, it, yes, it, it would be expensive, but without it, I, I don't know how we'd have managed yeah, and, and I guess a part of that is brand recognition and having having a strong brand. And I, I quite like to get onto a bit about the brand as well. Um, you know, I know that you were featured in Italian Vogue in the first year and you've collaborated with the British fashion designer Vivian Westwood. So you've clearly tapped into style in a, in a really big way rather than just the practical side of owning a bag, right? Where where did this kind of fashion sense come from? Was that always something that you've you've had about you? Is that always something that, you know, you felt was going to be the identity of your product? Was Where did that come from? 
I think that you're right in saying it's a tapping into style rather than it's a tapping into, it's not so much a fashion fad, it's it's a particular style. And I think that I'm also a, a great believer in when somebody is happy and confident themselves, it makes everybody else feel a lot less anxious around them, you know? So, so if somebody is really happy and confident in the way they look, even if that look isn't the way that you look, you just think, well, I don't have to worry about them. They've got it sorted. They're happy with themselves. And so we have, you know, we've we've collaborated with Vivian Westwood, which is obviously a very strong, distinctive um, style. And um, she's just wonderful. Also with Comme des Garçons, which is a different style, but also very, um, very stylish. You know, they don't bend according to whatever the, the, the current fad happens to be. You look at the satchel, it's a beautiful, beautifully simplistic kind of bag. It doesn't have pockets everywhere because I, I, I would just find it really hard to find my keys if I had numerous pockets to go through every single time. And it's that kind of simplicity that tends to um, appeal to people who like a certain style and that's what we're comfortable with and, and, and so that's what we do. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. I noticed from your website as well, you add a bit of humor to the way you market your products. So you've got a what fits inside section of the bag and you've got your classic sort of laptop notebook glasses. But then also, crucially, you've also listed banana and curly whirly, yeah. which definitely gave me cravings for curly whirlies when I saw that. Yeah, which which labels you instantly of someone of <laughs> defining taste, a really refined taste. I yeah. think that both of those things came as well from... In the beginning, and and let's let's put this down to um, tiredness rather than lack of judgment. Uh, I I would have to, you know, I'd, I had this site, and I would have to upload images of bags as they arrived, and my mother would stand outside with a white sheet. I'd take a photo, you know, to take away the background, put in the Arctic white background, and. The satchels come in different sizes, but they pretty much look the same. And so to try and give an idea of the scale of the bag, it seemed incredibly obvious to me that what was needed was a banana in the photo because everybody knows sort of roughly the size of a banana and then you can gauge the size of the bag from it. And that seemed completely logical at the time. And so um, even though I've been um, coached out of doing that by people who actually know what they're doing, um, I was able to still keep my mention of uh, the nod to the banana in it. And and curly whirlies have always been the ultimate accolade if somebody does something really brilliant it was always you know my my mum would say oh Jennifer had that awful call on customer service yesterday you know she she handled it so well shall I get her a curly whirly 
<laughs> and it's like, I was like, yes, get her a curly whirly. So, you know, these are things that, that are deeply entrenched in our company culture. Um, and then just outside of the, the business, I mean, you've done, you do lots and lots of things. Um, you're an ambassador for the Queen Elizabeth Scholarship Trust. Um, you're on the advisory board of the Cambridge Judge Business School. Um, and then you've met the Queen as well. So I was the um, first and still I'm the only woman to have won the biggest is big European business awards and entrepreneur of the year for Europe. Um, I, I was the only woman to have done that. And so for that, I got my OBE. And so um, I actually had the OBE from Prince Charles. And, and, and that was lovely because my my mum and the children were sort of sat in that big room in the palace sort of watching me being having my medal pinned on me. And um, I've now met the Queen about five times, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah. A bit like a, a, the series of The Crown. You sort of watched her evolve. <laughs> yeah. She hasn't changed at all. She's, she's just, um, just amazingly warm. You know, a lovely, warm, sort of just twinkly, warm eyes and a genuine smile and, and how she... she manages to always make somebody feel special, even though, you know, with all the, the people that she has to meet is is just, you know, incredible. When you're giving advice, what's kind of maybe at the top of the list that, that you would advise sort of young young people? Don't get into debt, I, I, I would say. You know, Cambridge Satchel started with £600 and we didn't have any overdraft. We didn't have investments or loans. And because it was done on a, a shoestring, we had to be resourceful. And but it meant also that that you you can be more creative and you can have a bit more freedom and not be as scared about making big monthly repayments or you know. And I'm, I'm really not. I I know that personally, and and everybody is is different, of course, but. For me, I'm at my best when I feel like I have freedom to make choices. And the the more you saddle yourself with overhead and, and monthly repayments, the more constrained you're going to feel. Um, so I think that would be my biggest thing. And then just finally, um, what do you think's next for you and the business? Um, Will coronavirus accelerate any new trends, you know, consumer-wise? Just sort of, will there be any positives to come out of all of this? So a very big positive for me has been, um, you know, Cambridge Satchel was set up so that my my two could have a great education. So I have um, been really proud to, to have been asked to be an ambassador for a, a new charity that's... Um, part of YK International, YMCA, uh, it's a charity called Start Her Enterprise. And what they aim to do is to help one million women in some of the, the poorest areas of the world start businesses so that they can feed and educate their children. And it's one million new businesses in the next 10 years. Uh, and so, you know, that's a that's another big reach. But I think that there's there needs to be an opinion sort of shift and a change of attitude that for a business to be a success, it doesn't need to be a unicorn. You know, for for a business to be a success, it needs to to do what 
what someone sets out to do. And and if that's um, a, a woman or a, a man thinking, I need this business to to work so that I can feed my family, then the minute it starts doing that, it's a it's a success. And and I think that that difference in mindset, it's not just about I need to have um, a plan and then I'll get somebody else to fund it. And before it's even off the ground, I'll have an exit strategy and, and all this kind of thing. It there's a there's a different measure of of success that I think is is really important and would be a massive leap forward for um for everybody. Great. Well, that seems like a great note on which to end. So Julie, thanks very much for for joining us and and thanks for the introduction to your dogs as well. <laughs> they're running around like idiots barking their heads off in the garden, so they're happy. Thank you for putting up with them. That was my colleague Ed Stapley in conversation with Julie Dean. I loved their chat and it just shows how much you can achieve with £600 as long as it's accompanied by a large dose of determination and perhaps a sense of humour. That's Out of Office for this week. You know where to find more episodes. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Twitter and the Bloomberg Terminal. This episode was produced by Jordan Gasparay. I'm Malika Kapoor. We'll be back next week. Till then, stay well, take care, and thank you for listening. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.